What's going on, everybody? Episode 59 for you today. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you haven't done so yet, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. If you go to the bottom of whatever platform that you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple or Spotify, go down, click the subscribe button. If you haven't left a review, do me a favor, leave a review. Tell me what you think. Who's your favorite episode so far? Anybody else you want me to have on means a lot. My guest today is an author who I actually went to school with years ago. It's been a long time since he and I have had a conversation. He's led a pretty interesting life and somebody who uh, I always envied because he did such a great job of balancing such a unique set of interests and friends. Uh, I always thought that was really cool. He was in the professional world of chemicals uh, as a project manager and director level, creating technology additive packages for lubricants and things like that. And um, he decided that he wanted a change. And so uh, with the help of his wife, he set out to really create a new type of coaching program. And he's not a big fan of the word coaching. And I don't think that's completely indicative of what he's doing, but it's certainly a part of it. And uh, he sent me his book, which is called Dirty Thoughts, Let's Talk, which really kind of prefaces the, the program itself. He's got a podcast that you need to check out as well. His name is Mike Marcella, and his program is The Clean Thinkers. Oh, and I apologize again, you know, being on vacation, the room I was recording in, a little different than the studio here. So uh, maybe a little echo or hollow at times. I apologize in advance, but this conversation was straight fire. And... Uh, not doing us any favors by not putting it out. But before we enjoy the episode, make sure that number one, you go to thecleanthinkers.com, sign up for a, uh, a month of Mike's program. And then when you're done with that, head over to drinkaction.com. That's action with a K. As you know, Action Specialty Roast Coffee and Natural Supplements is the main sponsor of this podcast. I'm a partner in that company, and we are so excited to bring you the best tasting specialty roast coffee and some of the most beneficial natural supplements that you can buy on the market. Specialty coffees that come in whole bean, ground, K-cup. We have dark roast, medium roast, light roast, and even a specialty roast with Anthony Rumble Johnson called Rumble Time. In addition to that, we're in the process of finishing up a brand new mushroom blend coffee. And we have a number of different natural supplements for you to try as well. Things like turmeric and hemp, which is great for reduction of inflammation. It's also good for joint health and just overall health and well-being. We have MCT bombs called Fuel, which are small little snack packs of MCT oil from coconuts. It's a great energy boost. It's clean. It's keto-friendly. It's paleo-friendly. We also have apparel, T-shirts, hats. If you want to share... So you love with the brand and, you know, maybe you're not a coffee drinker. Do us some, do us a solid, go, uh, go grab some apparel, drinkaction.com. And if you use code word curious, you'll save 15% off. Oh, and I've got a special announcement for you. If you sign up for a subscription of action, you're also going to get a free month of the clean thinkers program. So just something that, uh, the team over there wanted to do and, uh, you might see a little bit more happening in that uh, direction. Mike's a great guy and I love what he's doing over there. So thanks again and enjoy this episode, folks.
And they even tell me, did you hear that on your end? Yeah. I've never heard that before. They oh, must, really? Yeah, they must have done an update. Yeah, Interesting. Really cool. But dude, it's it's been forever. I, I was trying to think back the last time you and I have had a conversation and I'm like, my mind goes to West Washington Street when you were living with Mark Austin and a couple of the other yeah. guys from Pitt. Some uh, interesting times. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely, I want to get into everything as far as the book and the clean thinkers, the program. But sure, like sure. I said, in our initial dialogue, I think I have a selfish interest in just catching up and seeing what you've been up to because I've seen from afar and through the, the lens of social media and through conversations with other people, but you and I haven't had a conversation. So yeah, definitely, been a long time. yeah, definitely interested in that because your journey's kind of taken some turns that I never would have thought like, wait, Mike, Marcella and chemical industry, like doing what? So yeah, um, it's, I th and I also think it's relevant to what you wrote and the program that you now have. Uh, I think it's kind of the foundation of it. Right. So um, what the hell have you been up to, man? Like yeah. in that time, what, what, what's been going on in your world? It's funny. Cause you say about, you know, I, all those turns that you're talking about that were unexpected, they were very unexpected for me as well. So, but yeah, so I went back to school. So when I was living with Mark, I, I believe at the time I was probably working in the oil fields, I believe. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I just kind of had this epiphany where I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, it was just like getting up at two in the morning, working all hours of the day. And it just, it was kind of miserable. So I said, okay, we go back to school. So I re-enrolled in school, finished my biology degree. Then I went to work at uh, ARG in Bradford, American Refining Group. I was working in the lab there. Then I moved on to doing quality control there. Got a job at a uh, uh, consulting firm, so as a project manager. So I moved on to there, and that was in the Cleveland area. And then from there, I went to this, I kind of fell into this job at a specialty chemical company called Lubrizol. And what they did is they make additive packages and like technology for engine lubricants, like oils and things like that. So I was a project manager there, moved into a technology manager role. So I was developing the formulas from the ground up there. And then um, I got kind of in with this company called Maxima, based here in San Diego. I developed a relationship with them. And the owner was always kind of double doubling up as the CEO and the technology guy. And he was like, I, I just can't grow my business this way. He's like, I need to add somebody in to run technology. Would you be interested in coming out to San Diego? And running my, I was like, well, I'm living in Cleveland. You know, you don't have to twist my arm too hard to do that. So, you know, I moved out here and that was in 2017, the beginning of the year and been here ever since. And then after Maxima, you know, we can talk about how the clean thinkers came about, but uh, yeah, so I've been living out in San Diego since then. So it was kind of, it wasn't really what I expected. You know, I, I'd finished my biology degree and I thought I was going to go to graduate school. And I was like, I, I don't really want to do that. So I went and finished my chemistry degree while I was working at ARG. And then that's kind of how I fell into the chemical industry. It was all by accident, really. <laughs> I still haven't figured out what I want to do when I grow up. So you know, it's just been kind of a figuring out as I go. Yeah. You always struck me as a really intelligent person. And some, I was actually thinking about this conversation. And I remember somebody asked me if I knew you. And I said, yeah. And they said, what are you? I can't even remember the context. But I was asked like what I thought of you. And I said, he reminds me a lot of Henry Rollins. And, <laughs> like you, you always had like very philosophical views on things and this exterior with the tattoos and the hair. And I mean, we listened to the same type of music and I, I kind of felt like in a way I, I was envious of you because 
I was always into all those same things, you know what I mean? And I, but I, I tried to balance my life between sports and, and what my interests were, because I was like, I enjoyed sports and I was good at athletics in high school. So that kind of was a great thing for me to pursue. But yeah. I, I, I was always afraid to get too far into my other interests for fear of losing my friends or sure. I, I don't know, like the magic pill of what I thought was carrying me through life. And I always felt like you really just embraced just, hey, I am who I am. And you had like this wide eclectic group of friends that I'm sure, especially now as you get older, you look at that and think, man, all those different viewpoints and all those uh, influences, so to speak. I know you talk a lot about influence, yeah. right? But they, yeah, yeah. that can be a good thing too, when you have all those influences that may compete with each other uh, and being Certainly. kind of the, the lightning rod in the center that gets to take it all on, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look back to what it was like when us, for us when we were going to school and college and things like that, you look at the world today and it's so polarized. Like people that are on one side of the political spectrum, for instance, they don't even talk with each other anymore, right? It's just like you get this, this course is usually through social media, but there's this like disconnect. But when you, we're going to school, there are people of all sorts of different political viewpoints and you just talk with each other. You, you would hear that and it just, you didn't have to talk about these specific subjects and it wasn't a, a war, but you could still get their opinion and you could talk with each other in a way that was civilized and it wasn't like this constant fight. You know, so I, I think that was, it was a lot easier to take in that information than I, I don't know. I, I, I feel for kids that are coming up today that I don't, I don't know. I feel like the conversation is kind of fading away. Like the traditional, just talking to each other. Yeah. Why biology so, when you went back to school? Well, I, I wanted to be pre-med at first. So yeah, that was, that was a terrible idea, but <laughs> that was what, that was what it was going to be. And I started going down that path and I was like, well, I don't really want to commit to this. So maybe I'll go to graduate school because unfortunately with a BS in biology, you can't do a lot. You know, there's really not a lot of career opportunities there to move up, especially in something like the specialty chemical industry. So that's why I went back and got the chemistry degree. I thought in lieu of going to graduate school, that would make things a little bit easier, a little bit easier to get a job because graduate school is kind of tough because the route that I had taken, I, I went to school for a couple of years. Then I left school and I was working in the oil fields. And so I'd accumulated all these like adult expenses, right? I had car payments and insurance payments and rent. And so to go to graduate school, it, could, it would have been possible, but it would have been really tough to go to graduate school and have to do that kind of commitment to get like a doctorate while also having adult responsibilities. I, I know people have done it, but for me, I thought I'll just get the BS in chemistry and see where that takes me. And it worked out pretty well, you know, but so, but yeah, that's where biology came from. That's really cool. So when you were saying you got on and they brought you into lead technology, so is that, are you speaking in terms of technology inside of the product, the, yes. the packages? So like the, the internal technology of the, the, the way the oil is formulated and things that, that way, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, so when I tell people I was a technology manager, a lot of people assume I was doing something with like software technology or hardware or something like that. I'm like, no, I don't know anything about computers. It's it's a, it's a miracle that I'm able to be on this right now and not have it messed up somehow. So no. So yeah, it was more like uh, the chemistry side, the technology, structure, performance, relationships, things like that. So, you know, a lot of people are under the impression that engine oil is just engine oil, but there's actually a lot of technology that goes into that. I mean, Lubrizol, the Berkshire Hathaway company, it's a $9 billion company, you know, it has 8,000 employees and nobody's ever heard of it, but there's a good chance that the oil that's in your car, you know, provided you have an internal combustion engine car, probably has some technology from Lubrizol, same thing with the 
brake fluids and the coolants and the transmission fluid. There's probably lubrizol in there. And then they also have a, uh, um, a specialty chemical industry that's it's completely separate. It's like the performance polymer. It might even be in your shoes. Like they have a relationship with Nike. They don't, they do all sorts of cool stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. So at what point in time are you kind of sitting around thinking, I, I want to do my own thing? Or, or was it even that you had the idea of the clean thinkers brewing in your mind and finally just said, I'm going to go for it? Or, you know, is, is that a, more of a slow burn for you to get there? COVID had a lot to do with it, actually. You know, so uh, in March of 2020, uh, everything had shut down out here in California, like full on lockdown. And my company, they didn't get locked down because they because Maxima was considered essential because they make things for transportation, right? So we were able to work, but people like me who could work remotely were allowed to work from home. So I was on a full remote schedule. My wife owns her own business too. So she's an accountant. So we were both home together and I have my four-year-old daughter here. And so I was getting to parent and I was getting to work and do my job. And it was awesome. I didn't have to go into work anymore. You know, I didn't have to commute and Southern California traffic. And I was getting to hang out with my daughter all the time and be with my wife all the time. And I was cooking dinner at night, you know, really having an active involvement in parenting. So just a quick sidetrack. So I, I have a son from a previous relationship and we share custody of him. So I get him for limited amounts of time. So I have a very, I think, different perspective of that with, so the time that I spend with my daughter is like, I don't know, I just find it extra valuable, I suppose. And so it was just amazing to be home and not have to be at work. And I was doing my job perfectly fine. Everything was working out well. And then around like May timeframe, you know, things started to kind of normalize a little bit as far as essential workers being able to, who were remote possibilities, able to come back to the office. My boss started talking about it, you know, hinting that, hey, you know, you need to come back pretty soon. And so I was just kind of, okay, you know, changing the subject and <laughs> trying not to commit to anything. So yeah, I don't want to go back. So my wife and I started talking, we just decided, well, you know, she's, she makes enough to take care of us with her business It's quite successful. So I said, okay, well, maybe I figure out something else. So what to do, right? Cause she does all her stuff remotely with accounting. I can't really remotely make oils as a consultant. You can do that, people do that, but usually that's like 40 years in the industry, something like that. So my wife, she actually came up with a lot of the ideas for the whole program. She's like, you know, I did this coaching program. So she did some, some life coaching. I hate the term life coaching, but <laughs> that's what she did. And she was like, you have this very unique way of thinking where you can just kind of cut through the bullshit, get down to what is, what isn't. There's no, how I feel about it, what anybody else thinks about it, what my mom thinks about it, what my religion or my politics think about it. This just is, and you just accept that. And you take the data that you have and you move forward. She's like, I think what the other coaching is missing is that they're missing the why a lot of things you know they, a lot of them have this like kind of prescriptive method it's like hey you have a, this thing in your life that you're not happy with do this and you'll be happy but why aren't you happy to begin with and that's the question that they kept missing like why maybe maybe what you're doing is fine and i don't know if you've read through the book but it, I, I use it at the end the example of like somebody who's goes and becomes a veterinarian assistant but their parents were like let's say their parents were doctors and they wanted them to be a doctor and they really pushed them for that. But they're like, I don't really want to care for people. Right. But they end up going the way of the doctor. And there's a lot of different things that could happen. I mean, people assume that if you're a doctor, you're going to be happy, right? You're gonna make a lot of money, which is, you know, money doesn't necessarily mean happiness, especially if it's not something you're passionate about. Maybe you don't like people, right? Maybe you just want to hang out with cats all day. 
right? And so you're going down this route that you're passionate about. And something like it to be, become a medical doctor, you really need to put in a lot of commitment, which is why I didn't go that way. I didn't want to do it. So this person that wants to go that way, they have a lot of potentials for failure. And now they have to go and they have to do this job that's going to require 80 hours a week sometimes. And maybe they want to start a family. So the point of it is, is that maybe the, the medical doctor isn't the way to go. And maybe if maybe they're not happy in that role because they wanted to do something else and they were forced into doing it. So the whole point of the Clean Thinkers program and what makes it, I think, different than the other coaching programs is just getting down to the root why of the issue at hand instead of just saying, okay, well, you have an issue. Well, I developed this method that you can, that you can use and it's going to fix it. Well, that seems a little oversimplified for me and it doesn't really get to the root cause. And another analogy I draw in the book is kind of like quality control. I feel like that's, because I, I did some quality control work in my career too. I feel like that's the corrective action. It's like a bandaid after the fact because we haven't got to the root cause. We haven't figured out the root why and then fixed the root core issue. And so that, so she's like, well, why don't you try coaching? I was like, all right. <laughs> so we decided to give it a shot. And the, the book itself was just kind of the way that I framed the program. So it's actually, I wrote it like three times. It's <laughs> it was the, the, what you're seeing is pretty much the third entire draft. Cause what I was doing was using that narrative as I was writing it to figure out what the program was going to be. So as I was writing it, I get like, well, that, no, no. And then I go back and rewrite these whole chapters and just keep figuring it out. And ultimately that was what the book was going to be. It was a way for me to figure out what the program was going to be. And then ultimately be a selling tool for the program for people to get an introduction to it, understand what it's all about, and then see if it's right for them. And that's kind of what the podcast is as well, except the podcast is free. <laughs> yeah. No. So I, I've gotten through a little bit more than half of it since you sent it to me. Thank you, by the way. It's dude, I think you knocked it out of the park, quite honestly. I, it, I had Appreciate a feeling, that. you know, just knowing your personality initially, I, you know, I thought dirty thoughts. I'm like, what the hell is he, what is he writing about? Like I, yeah. I, I was so confused knowing, knowing you. And when I started to look into the social and listen to the podcast, and then once I had the opportunity to start reading the book, I think you killed it because the, the problem that I always see with people is that there's no place in this world for nuance. It's just yeah. like, we we pony up with our either political sides or what our family thinks. And it's all based off of our own egos. It's all based off of our fear of being left behind by family and different people. And we, we live in a world where we have more ability to have a free voice than we ever could have dreamed of. And I think that we're more siloed than ever because of it. Absolutely. And it's so frustrating. And that's why I started this podcast. I mean, similar to you, same thing happened. I was in software and I was working for a company that decided to let everybody work from home. And I really wanted to do this. I had done some podcast stuff with my brothers and I've always been entrepreneurial, but was like, I really, I want to be out there. And we're in this time where everybody's very tribal. And I think yeah. the missing link is getting experiences from everybody and challenging the things that I feel even the most, you know, the strongest about, right? Like, yep. man, this is, I'm really dug in on this topic. Maybe I need to like go find somebody who disagrees with me there. That's willing to have a conversation with me. And I know I'll learn something from them and maybe they'll learn something from me. And it's been a fabulous exercise in my own humility, uh, in sure. you know, just growth and being able to see all the things that can come out of that opportunities, that you never saw because you didn't meet somebody. And 
it's it's just this exponential effect too because i've had the chance to talk with people on here who i initially would have never even thought to talk to but i only found them because of somebody else that i spoke to so it's yeah. it's re it's really cool but your your ability to to your point take out all the factors you know why take away the gravitational pull of family and bias and ego and get to the actual zeros and ones of the situation and say okay yeah how do we optimize operational efficiency and i have to imagine a lot of this was learned through working in a field like in the science field right and bio, sure. i guess biology where you're you don't have the ability to let bias affect your decision making process yeah yeah it just chemistry is right you know so you can of course in anything there's still subtleties but it's just you, you can, it's like first principles right elon musk talks about that a lot is that even though i make fun of elon in the book but i'm just joking about that i mean of course what the guy's done is incredible but <laughs> he uh he gets down to the that, that's what he credits all of his thinking and engineering too is engineering aptitude is being able to get down to first principles and that's what it is there's no noise if he had noise interfering with him he wouldn't be doing the tony stark shit that he does right is he just he gets down to the nitty-gritty figures out the root of the problem fixes the problem how am i going to get people to mars he's going to get them there because he's going to figure out how to do it from first principles to get down and avoid all the nonsense and this is this is my goal this is what i want to get to this is what i'm going to do and I think if people implement that in their lives, and the whole point of the clean thinkers is implementing that in your lives, you can cut through so much BS and get to the decisions that are best for you. And I talk about those to whom you're responsible. So your kids, your family, you know, your spouse. Yeah. Do you think that the the gap in intelligence, like the traditional way you look at somebody like Elon Musk and people say, wow, look what he accomplishes. He must be that much smarter than me obviously there's an intellect, right? I don't want to discount sure. that. There's, there's an obvious intellect and there's levels to intellect. But I think that if you were to look at the total road to where most of us sit and where somebody like he sits, I would argue that intellect doesn't get you even halfway there as, as much as maybe the ability to your point, tune out the noise, to be able to take all that data. Because I think we're all maybe... <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm giving people way too much credit, but I, I think for the most part, I've talked to some people who others would think are stupid. And if you ask them the right questions or get them talking about the right things, they'll spit some genius on you. And so yeah. I have to imagine that if we had the ability, you know, whether it be clean thinking, right? But I think you're, yeah. you're onto something, right? If you can filter out the shit that's going in, learn how to process yeah. it correctly, we all have way more of the answers than we've probably realized to get us to that destination. Absolutely. And that's where I came up with the name. You probably remember from the book, the clean, clean thinkers based on the concept of clean eating. Whereas, you know, when you're trying to eat clean food, you're trying to take in the most nutritious, healthiest food, most unprocessed food you can get to get the best output. It's the same thing with thinking, except the information doesn't always have to be good because even with good information, if you have the, filter of subjectivity and motivated reasoning and all this bias in there, the information could be the best in the world, but you're still going to interpret it in a way that serves your predefined narrative. So if you can get around that, the junk food then in clean thinking is our processing of information through these filters of what we want the information to be. If you can shut that out, it's amazing that you can just get down to the core of it. And that's not about intelligence. When I was researching the book, I came across, it was fundamental to my 
understanding of human intellect and in that the whole the whole thing about believing this and believing that you'd think oh somebody you know believes in the QAnon or something like that or other conspiracy theories like that or flat earth you're like oh they're dumb it's not about intelligence it's about this ability to fall prey to subjective influences and fall prey to motivated reasoning if if the wor world being flat to you serves some sort of purpose maybe that's being part of a group or some other purpose to you that is more valuable than getting to the real information, then you can find a way to validate that. And that's the dirty thinking. That's well, okay. Well, this I need I need this to be true for a reason. So I'm going to find a way to make it true. And that's not about intellect. It's easy. That's I think that's that's dirty thinking to just write people off. Oh, he's fucking stupid. Well, no, it's not necessarily the case. They're, they're, they're not. They're just they're prey to these influences for one reason or another. And they're they're powerful things. Right, because even you know, chapter three, I talk about self-interest. That ties back to our survival instinct. It's the most powerful thing in us. And so, when our beliefs get attacked, our brain starts to think that we're being physically attacked. And so, we are like, ah, I have to defend that. And it's, that's powerful shit. <laughs> yeah, you talk about how some of the most intelligent people, most successful people with PhDs, are the ones who will double down and dig their heels in on information that's clearly not, you know, not accurate. And absolutely as the research. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, man. I had a gentleman on, uh, his name is, uh, Alan Liu. He's a, an amateur mixed martial arts fighter who, uh, his nickname and his social media name is the Chinese disappointment. And, uh, he went to school, actually, he was pre-med at Pitt and, uh, his parents were going to pay for his education. They're a very conservative Chinese family. They did not want him doing anything with martial arts. And they came to his graduation, saw he had Kyle Flaurier, was fighting and wrestling behind their back. And they're like, look, then you, you can either go back and we'll repay for you to go back and get your degree in medicine or we're going to cut you off. And he's like, all right, well, deuces, you know. But the thing that really caught me is his mom was a doctor and his dad was a pharmacist. And they both immigrated here from very, very humble backgrounds in China. And yeah. they found their way to these careers. So obviously very intelligent people. But when his mom went to New York City, um, they were living in Texas at the time. She went to New York City to take her residency. And yeah. when she went there, she found a radio show, a guy by the name of Harold Camping. I don't know if that name is familiar to you, but he, it's not. he was like a radio evangelist and he predicted the end of the world in 2011 um, in May. And okay. so she was completely convinced that the world was going to end. And she convinced the father and raised the son to believe that the world was going to end May 11th, 2011. And it didn't, you know, and I'm like, yeah. I asked him, you know, like, how, how was that conversation? He was like, you know, they would make all kinds of justifications. Maybe that the dates were wrong. Maybe, you know, this guy was, was given false information, but they didn't want to grapple with the fact that they had been lied to. Yeah. And, I kept, I'm like, how is that possible? And then I'm like, this lady's a doctor. You know, I, I know people with different religions, not to go down rabbit holes, but I know some of the most intelligent, successful, logical people in business who have very strange beliefs from a religion standpoint and who yeah. will not use that same logic that have made them successful when they look at something like religion. And to your point, it serves them in, in a way. And I yeah. guess that's good in its own sense, but- yeah, it's really interesting how the within so the, the research that I found specifically said that within groups of people that are holding a misinformed view of the world, so 
we'll say flat earther. Sorry for anybody who's listening that uh, there's about flat earth that's it's round. But so for people, so for people, so for people that are within a group like that, the most intelligent ones are actually traditional intelligence. So highest critical thinking skills, most relevant education are most apt to believe and vehemently defend these beliefs. But it's because they have the ability to rationalize it because they have critical thinking, they can then essentially misappropriately or misappropriate this to I, I can take this my critical thinking skills and apply it to something that I really shouldn't be, but using subjective logic to make it sound like it's objective. It's, it's, it's amazing how our brains can work, how we can manipulate things to satisfy whatever need we're trying to satisfy. Is there also a part of it that you have to have a little bit of crazy in you to be able to be genius and to, to find the right answers? You have to be willing to explore ideas and possibilities in the first place. Because there's a lot of individuals that would never even be willing to look at something like, is the earth flat? But I think to, to be able to think of stuff that Elon Musk is saying, I mean, you also would have to be crazy to think that you're going to shoot people to Mars, but he's going yeah. to do that. And so there's a very, very fine line between crazy and, and having the ability to go over the edge and look but see that nothing's there and not fall into the abyss. And that's, I, that's yeah. that line, right? Like, how do you, how do you look over enough to check, but not die? Yeah. Well, I mean, all of the, all throughout history, the people that have been able to come up with the biggest revelations and come up with the, the, the largest discoveries that have given us the most benefit have been able to kind of forget their influences and just look at the evidence. So don't quote me here, but I think it was Copernicus who figured out that the sun did not wrote, did not uh, orbit the earth, but it was the other way around. So don't quote me if that was Copernicus or not, but whomever it was, they were going against like the teachings of the time, pretty much telling the Catholic church, I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, I don't believe you or whatever church was in charge at the time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go against this dogma and say, the evidence says this, and that was a big move, right? And that's been throughout history when Darwin proposed the theory of evolution at first which was a hypothesis at the time but when he was like hey you know i think this is what's happening like, whoa you know that was a big move that was bold and i think people that are able to forget these things these established principles these established ideas and then move forward like like elon musk like i'm, I'm going to make electric cars a thing i'm going to make space travel a thing i'm, I'm going to do all of these things and just kind of forget what other people say and what the what's established as what's possible to an extent they're for, they're forgetting and leaving behind subjective influences so i know one of your chapters is on past experiences and i had a, a really interesting thought on this because i feel we can look out into the world and we see everybody has their own perception of what's happening right i was yeah. by like perception is reality you know, it doesn't matter yeah. what reality you live. It's like, what, what are we all perceiving? What are they perceiving? What are, you know, how are they viewing you and your behaviors? And yeah, uh, when I look at past experiences, I wholeheartedly agree that, I mean, you touch the hot stove or you're going to want to touch the hot stove again. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, that's how we've evolved, I think. Right. And so as we continue to slide down the slippery slope that social media is creating for us and media is creating all these dirty yeah. thoughts, how do we stop them enough to be able to, you know, hit the gears and go in the opposite direction and battle through them. Right. I don't know if yeah. I'm making any sense by saying that, but. 
You are. And I think that's what I'm trying to answer with this program in a way is, I mean, you know, I have these delusions of grandeur that if enough people adopt it, that we could, you know, get a, get a, a large enough mass of people to be like, Hey, you know, we don't, we don't have to be subject to this nonsense. We don't have to just because something past experience is an interesting one. Cause it's really, it's, it's very useful. That's pretty much how we learn everything that we pull from in our day to day is something that we've learned in the past but how to sift through what's the good stuff and what is the bad stuff. Ultimately, I think it comes down to a mindfulness of what's based on subjectivity and what's based on objectivity, because that past experience, that can be the roots of biases and things like that too, like prejudices and, and you know, racism and xenophobia and sexism and things like that, that if you, you form a, an opinion based on, let's say a sub, small subset of a group of people, a, a race or a gender or something like that, and then you, apply that to the entire group without evidence to suggest that that is true, then right there, you've taken a subjective, you've taken an objective observation, maybe something bad did happen from a small subset of that group, but then to make the, then to apply that and say that the entire group is like that, well, that's how prejudice comes about, but there's no objective evidence to suggest that you should do that. You know what I mean? If you, mm -hmm. if you were abused by somebody and then you say, well, that abuser by virtue of being part of this group, and that group must all be abusers, right? If we make a jump like that, or if we say this uh, person who is a, a liberal or a conservative, uh, if just by virtue of being part of that group, then they must engage in this, or they must do that. We're, we're, we're making really big jumps with our logic that there's no objective evidence to suggest that. But it looks like there, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was gonna say, why do we do that with, things like that in our life, but not with, oh, wow, I ate pizza, it burnt my mouth, I'm never going to eat like we, we have the ability to understand that those are individual events, and that there's nuance to it, right? Yeah. Like I, I could get the pizza the next time it's not going to be hot, or I'll let it cool off, I'll have a much better experience at the end of the day. And, and that human interaction can be the same. Yeah, well, I think it comes back to what's serving us and what isn't it serves us not to eat that hot pizza again, because that's going to hurt, it's going to suck, right? Or touch the hot burner. There's something that people are getting. I, we're selfish creatures. We are, we have to be, that's, that's our nature. That's how we survive. And we try and find, if something's serving us, we find a way to keep getting that. That's how drug addictions happen, right? That's how alcoholism happens. That's how overeating happens and being sedentary and all these things. It's this feedback loop of dopamine and other things in your brain that are telling you this is awesome. And so when you're agreeing with your group and you're part of the group, that gives you a dopamine feedback. You feel good about that. And so this, this group mentality is a very powerful thing. And that, that's evolutionary, right? We, we humans have become the dominant species on the planet, largely because we are really good at functioning in groups. Maybe not so much anymore, but historically we have. And so when we get in groups, whether it be you know, a family to a clan, to a religion, to a, an entire state or nation, you know, people really get into that. People get really hardcore into patriotism or their religion and things like that because there's power, there's evolutionary power to being in a group. It comes back to survival and it comes back to self-interest. So I think it serves the people that are part, that are, they're disregarding reality because the reality does not serve them, but being part of the group will serve them. Mm -hmm. is, is there an instance in life for you where, or even during this pandemic where I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if there's anything that you've changed your perspective on, whether it's in the last 24 months or even 
you know, just as you've kind of had this way of thinking, and I, I think you've always kind of somewhat had this way of thinking, but I'm, I'm sure that your professional careers helped there as well. I mean, is there anything yeah. that you've, you've made a big 180 on where you attribute, you know, having an open mind to really look at things through a different perspective? <laughs> That's a tough one. Well, uh, I, I can take a step way back to when I was a kid. So, you know, I, I say in the book, and I, I don't like talking about it because it makes it sound like I'm, I'm whining, but I grew up without a dad. And a big part of that, so I had this, you know, this syndrome of fear of abandonment and things like that, right? And so when I was young, I did not have my own way of thinking. I tried to mimic and do whatever I needed to do to fit in, in elementary school and things like that. It was mostly through elementary school. And I remember trying to be like others and trying to be accepted because I had this, obviously I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I can tell what I was looking for was acceptance and you know some sort of camaraderie that I was missing. And it, it, I don't know, it must've been around junior high or something like that. And then I started and I went through this phase where I had long hair and I was, you know, a, listen to Marilyn Manson and bleh, rock out and all that stuff. So I still like Marilyn Manson, even though, you know, he's not the most popular. I like his music. Maybe he's not the best guy anymore, but, <laughs> but he, uh, so I went through this phase and then I, re that was when like my first rebellious step to where I was like, okay, I'm going to do my own thing, even if it's stupid. And that's the thing was a lot of the things I did were stupid. I got in a lot of trouble as a kid. I did a lot of dumb shit. I talk about that in the book where I, I didn't have this guidance growing up. And I think, I don't really, really remember when the switch flipped for me, but for a long time, I was an influence addict. Everything I did was to serve something. It was to take drugs to feel good. It was to do something crazy to get that adrenaline rush. Just, you know, I was reckless and I was reckless for a really long time, but I still had this logical brain back there, like let me out and I really don't know when it when it flipped for me. I, you know, when I was living with uh, the, my, the the friends, our mutual friends there on West Wash, there there was a point where I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to school. They were all going to school, and I think it might have even been that that I was like that I was still living this life, and everybody else was going to school, and you know they had this future ahead of them, and they were going to leave, and I was going to be there. Like, what am I going to do now? I just keep drinking myself stupid every day. And then I just decided. You know, at some point, I, I want to go back. I want to change my life. This isn't, this isn't what I want to do. And I really don't know what happened. But at that point, now when I look back, I didn't realize it at the time. But what I was doing was finally starting to get these influences under control and let that underlying logical brain start taking the lead instead of just always trying to look for that next fix, whatever it was. Like, I, I, I had every opportunity to become addicted to something. I'm, I'm really glad I did. I mean, I was addicted to tobacco for a long time. Mm. But, you know, uh, chewing, uh, smoke with tobacco. But I, I never, I never got fully addicted to something, but I was always looking for that, that fix. And so I think it was a gradual process that I was finally able to get to, to where I am now. But I think for me to get back to your original question, which is, I, this was kind of like a, a premise for it, I suppose, was that during the pandemic, I remember initially like the, the CDC came out and they're like, don't get masks, you know, don't wear masks, you know, when, when, when COVID first started happening. But they weren't really clear with why they were saying that. And so people then took this, that masks don't work. But the CDC was like, no, 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 that's not what we're saying. We're saying don't take them because we want to make sure we have enough of the people in the hospital. And then, but they never said that. And they weren't they were clear about that. And what I, what, I, what I took away from the whole pandemic and realizing is that there's, there is a lot of room for interpretation. And when people aren't clear about it, but he, he, there's really a, a, lot, a lot of ways you can take 
things, you know? And so, but really the biggest insight that I learned was what we got back to about that when people believe different things that most of us are like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you know, the California wildfires being started by space lasers. Like I tell you the one that almost burnt my house down was started by my hillbilly neighbor, right? <laughs> he left his tractor set out in the sun for too long. But the, you know, when people believe stuff like that, for me, I used to have this really kind of not well thought out opinion of it. It's just like, oh, well, they're dumb. Well, no, they're not dumb. They're just sub subject to influences. They could be very highly intelligent. And they might actually be, according to research, have that, have really strong critical thinking skills, but they're just taking those and, and applying them in a way that serves them instead of serving the ultimate goal of getting to the reality of the situation. I'm sure you've worked with people in your professional career. I mean, I, I say this all the time, man. There was a point when I, I was in technology, I was uh, in a company that was acquired by IBM. And I like was thrust into this world with hundreds of thousands of professionals. With, initially, I was scared to death. I'm like, I don't belong here. These, I was just working for this small little startup. I don't, I don't beat, I, you know, I'm not supposed to be in this world. And then yeah. I'd start having conversations with these people about other things that I was very confident about. And I would hear what they had to say and some of the narrow uh, pathways at which they took information in. And it started to get me to think like, well, there's no way they could possibly have all the answers because they aren't looking for all the answers. They're looking in like half of the, the, the place for the answers. So, yeah you know, it was a great lesson in humility. You know, I, I learned really quickly that we all have the ability and, and I think to, to do it later in life too, right? There's a lot of people that I think, think their ship has passed and that they're never going to be able to amount to something. And that's not the case at all. You know, they, no. you can completely shift how you view the world, how you view yourself. And with whether it be a program, I think fitness and health, because I think one of the big important things of this is you have to have confidence to be willing to let go of all these things that we hang on to, to your point, like what are we, they're self, they're self-satisfying behaviors and thoughts. But if you can be a confident human being, both in your thought and in your, in your, just in your own view of yourself, I think that helps you start to let go of those things as safety yeah. nets a little bit too. Yeah, because it's comfortable, right? And I talk a lot about comfort in the book and people like to be comfort. And that, again, that goes back to survival and uh, evolutionarily advantageous behaviors to do things that keep us comfortable. And uh, it's, it's hard to get out of that discomfort. And so a big thing about what, what I try and advocate with the clean thinkers is comfort with discomfort. So uh, for me, one of those things, I, I can't remember what chapter does I talk about, but I talk about it in the podcast as well, like intermittent fasting. Is something that I implemented and was able to was able to you know lose about 45 pounds by doing it and it was hard it, it's really hard and it's really uncomfortable and your body's like I'm gonna your body your lizard brain thinks you're dying right it wants to eat but you have to just be cognizant of that and be aware that you're not going to die from from you know this isn't some people are in life-threatening hunger but if you you know if you skip a couple of meals that's not going to kill you but your, your brain thinks that so you have to become comfortable with that discomfort. And after a while, you actually start to like it where it's almost like that runner's high, you know, at, at the end, all the endorphins are kicked up and you're like, wow, this feels like a drug. I mean, your hunger can get like that too. 
and I don't know if it's the same biochemical mechanism or not, but it got to the point where I started to enjoy the hunger. I, I enjoyed the challenge of it to see what I could do. Once you become, it's just like with, with what you do with jujitsu too, right? There's a lot of discomfort to that. It, it hurts, right? It hurts to do different things like that. But once you become comfortable with that discomfort, you, you start to enjoy it. And it, it's just like that with anything else. But first you have to become cognizant of the underlying thoughts. Why do I want to avoid this discomfort? Why, why do I perceive this hunger as something that's so bad? If I don't eat the candy bar, is that the end of the world? No, it's, you, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Just, you just need to be cognizant of what's driving that. And it's hard to do. It's hard to be okay with discomfort. Discomfort's uncomfortable, right? That's the whole point. Yeah, I'm, I have a very addictive personality. Uh, Me too. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I've become very addicted to discomfort in that way, doing yeah. challenging things, right? Like that is my greatest fear is becoming complacent in life. I don't, and God, you know, hey, God willing to the people that enjoy that, uh, hey, that's awesome. I yeah. can't be that person that comes home and sits down and just lets moss grow. I have yeah. to be doing something. And I'm thankful that as a child, my family, my parents, you know, I, they were kind of just flying by the you know, seat of their pants through life. They were young. They didn't go to college. They had four kids in a town like Bradford where there's not a whole lot of, you know, economic, uh, you know, there, there was no, there was no goals or aspirations that they could really make by living in that yeah. town. Their destiny was pretty much written as far as they knew it. And so they yeah. let me do a lot of shit because it was kind of like, well, you're not fucking up your future. Like, yeah, try it. And yeah. that was such a good thing that in hindsight, I'm glad. And I don't think it was calculated that way, but I think about all of my friends and I've heard other people talk about this, but people who went through challenge and had it difficult, they tend to be the most interesting and fun type of people. And so now that I'm a father and I, I'm sure you think about it too, it's like, how do I, how do I ensure that there's challenge for my child so that it builds the character that they need, but that it doesn't create all of these opportunities for them to go in the direction. I guess it's just really managing that and overseeing it at a close in close proximity at a younger age and then, you know, praying and hoping that it, it continues to stay on track. But yeah, I like that. And I, I like the fact that you're about it and, you know, that dude, do the jujitsu. I think it'll be something you'll, you'll love and probably become addicted to as well. Yeah. My daughter's first class is tonight, actually. <clears throat> so awesome. we went and observed, we went and observed one last night. And so, yeah, she's four. She's going to start tonight. So she was so excited about it. So that's so cool. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's, I think that's what I want for her is to, to try different things. But I think what, what it comes back to is just being involved and letting them figure out what they want to do. Like what you're talking about with the, with the gentleman that you interviewed uh, with the, with the parents, the, the doctors, right. And that his parents were like, no, this is the preordained path that we want for you. Man, that's a, you know, I don't want to tell anybody how to parent their kids, but I feel like that's a, that's a tough thing to do. And that then in and of itself becomes an influence. It goes back to the, you know, the veterinary assistant uh, example that I use that, you know, maybe that person's a doctor now, maybe they're miserable. Maybe they would have been more happy just, just taking care of animals. And I, I think the, 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 uh, the gentleman that you interviewed, that's awesome that he decided to still go and do his path. And I'm sure he's very happy with that. And had he gone the other way, maybe he would have, maybe he would have failed. And then his parents would have been in the hole for all that for all that uh, tuition that they spend. And then who knows what, what the repercussions would have been from that. So 
for me, it's just, I want to find out what she's passionate about and kind of let her follow that, but just be involved. I mean, I, I, I'm a cautionary tale of what happens with lack of parental involvement too much, right? You don't want to be a helicopter parent, but at the same time, you want to be a parent, not just let them just run wild and do have the rule of the roost because then that ends up being bad too. And I don't know, there's, it's, it's a tough balance. And I, you know, there's all these different theories on parenting, but I think you kind of just got to let them lead the way a little bit. It's probably a good thing we grew up in the town we did. Not I like think so. Brooklyn or. Yeah. Yeah. That could have gone really badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a kind of a cap on how much trouble we could actually get into. And most, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the big picture for all of this? I know there's a podcast, there's a whole program, you know, how, how do you envision someone coming on board? Like if, you know, if someone's listening to this and they, they say, Hey, you know what? I want to make a change. And this sounds like something I can do. How does it, how does it work? I really, the whole reason I did the podcast, I, you know, before your podcast is one of the first ones I've ever listened to. I started podcasting before I ever really listened to it. I actually listened to Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast just to understand what a podcast even was. I was like, okay, so I need to, I need to listen to this before I started doing my own, just to kind of see like, how, how, do, how do I do this? And then I kind of researched everything, probably like you did too, and just figured it out. But the podcast is really just a way to introduce people to the program so they can go check it out, kind of see what it's all about. And that's what I would advise. I don't want anybody to, I think you can learn a lot more from that than the website and things like that. And the website's pretty simple and you can learn a lot from the book too, but I don't want people to just go and invest in the book if, if they haven't at least listened to an episode or two of the podcast to see what it's all about. I mean, the book's not expensive. I think it's $10 ebook or something like that. But the nice thing about the book is that you have really the entire first part of the program, because I'm, I'm writing a volume two, but the first part of the program, like the tenets and principles of it are laid out in the book, which I'm also going to lay out in the podcast, but intermittently. So the way the, the way the podcast is set up is that it's weekly and then pretty much two out of every four podcast episodes references a chapter in the book or the tenets and principles of clean thinking. Then I have what's called the monthly theme, which kind of focuses on a different aspect of people's lives. And the podcast will each month will uh, focus on that. So for May's podcast, for instance, it was health and wellness, which I wanted to start with because of the fact that I took uh, the name clean thinking from clean eating. And because without our health and wellness, we don't really have anything, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you're unhealthy and you know, you're bedridden or something like that, everything else doesn't matter, right? So health and wellness is number one. Then after that, I followed it with career and business, which I think is really important too, because I mean, those kind of are reciprocal too, especially in the US, right? If you're poor, you probably aren't that good of health because you can't afford nutritious foods. You can't you know, afford good health care. Your insurance is probably crap, things like that. So I wanted to start off with those. But anyway, so the monthly themes are different themes that correspond to different aspects of our lives. And so the podcast goes around that. And then I have what's called the dirty talk edition, which is just kind of whatever. It's really just kind of a more of an open format. I sometimes tie it back to the monthly theme, but it's kind of just to talk about whatever's happening in the world and try and find examples of what's going on in current events and give it a treatment from a clean thinking perspective. And you'll notice I, this was also my wife's idea, the whole dirty thoughts, dirty talk and stuff like that. That was her idea to like kind of catch people's attention to with like, you know, the double entendre of the sexual innuendo. She's like, people are, people are going to, people are going to respond to that. And they have, oh, big time. but some people, yeah, some people are confused. They come in, they're like expecting, you know, something a little bit more explicit. 
not to say I, I don't have a potty mouth, but it's like, no, it's not that type of dirty sauce, but gotcha. <laughs> so. Now, my, I'm down here at the beach and I had it sitting on the counter. My grandma walks by, so like, oh, geez, like dirty thoughts. What's this all about? <laughs> like, I'll tell you That's about funny. it. Sorry, grandma. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's awesome, Mike. Honestly, it's um, super happy for you. I'm glad that it's, it's, uh, seems like something you're enjoying a lot. Uh, yeah, it's like the first thing that I've ever really, been passionate about everything as far as that I've done professionally mm -hmm. everything else had just kind of been going through the motions like what you were talking about with what a lot of people end up doing and that's okay if that's what you want to do but for me I kept looking for something else because I was looking externally like I should I do this should I do that uh, I'm going to do this job in this area for a little bit more money a little bit better benefits and that's going to make me feel whatever I'm looking for but what I was looking for was inside of me and Ultimately, I was doing something that wasn't fulfilling to me. I was doing something that I wasn't passionate about. I know not everybody has the ability to do things they're passionate about right away, but I think we all do if we find a way, and that's getting back to those first principles. How can we do this? I was fortunate that my wife has a successful business, and I was able to just leave my job, you know, a director-level job that paid pretty well, and just let it go. And just say, okay, you're going you're gonna to be the primary breadwinner. You're going to give me time to start this business. You're amazing. Thank you so much. And she's let me do that. And she's funded all of the marketing and, you know, the website development and all that. So not everybody has that opportunity. So I, I, I'm very fortunate. But, you know, we talked about when I went back to school, that wasn't an easy thing to do. So people can do it, right? I had all these adult responsibilities and I had these adult expenses. And it was really hard to go back to school and then work two part-time jobs during my first degree and then work a full-time job and a part-time job during my second degree with a child to take care of. Right. So that was that was a lot, but you can figure out how to do it if you want that to be what you need. You know, if you want that to be your future and you want to leave behind whatever you want to leave behind, but you just have to figure out a way to do it. And you know, you not saying that clean thinkers will help you get there, but at least it'll help you get rid of the bullshit that might be keeping you from figuring out how to get there. And so that's yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say, so that kind of gets back to your initial question of you know, where I see the program is that. So we've had, I have had some people sign up, which is pretty exciting, you know, having just launched yesterday. And what I want people to do is listen to the podcast because there's, there's no cost involved. You can just check it out at your leisure. And then if you're interested, check out the book because the book really lays out the program and then just come over to the website and kind of see what we have to offer. Because I, I compare it in the book in the last chapter and you'll see, sorry, I got the book to you so late, but. Oh gosh, no, I, not you at all. <laughs> but but in, in in the last chapter, I I uh, I talk about how I, I think of the book and the podcast as almost like teach yourself to play piano type of book, right? So you you can go and you can figure out. I I, I use this as an analogy because I've been trying to teach myself to play piano. It's been ugly, but I've been trying. So <laughs> and you can get to Mary had a little lamb or simple things like that. But without lessons and diligent practice, you know you're never going to be playing Chopin. So that's kind of like what the program is, is you can, you can read the book and you can take a lot of value from it, or you can listen to the podcast and I think you can get a lot of value from it, but there's still only just ideas and they're only concepts until you start actively implementing them and putting in the time to make it something practicable, practicable and making it something that you're accountable to as well. You have to figure out a way to make that accountable, something that it's on your schedule. It's you've scheduled time to do this or scheduled time to do that made yourself accountable for it until you do that you know you're not going to get there it's just like playing the piano 
if you don't if you don't practice you're not going to play chopin and so if you don't dedicate time and put it aside to practice you're not going to get to play chopin right so like me if you bust your finger you're not going to get to play chopin (laughs) got in a fight with a rodent so yeah no dude i was just going to ask you is that from the chasing the rats yeah that's it i ripped the tendon off the tip of my finger so got a couple more weeks of this and then hopefully it'll be straight work again no fun so yeah do you uh, do you run into spindler at all no i i last time i saw him was at a a, a mark's bachelor party and that was that was a couple years ago he's up in oceanside and i'm out here in in east county san diego so i'm kind of up in the foothills of the koyamaka mountains so my house is about at 2500 feet but we're actually looking at the end of the year to move downtown. So getting one of the apartment buildings, the high rises down in downtown San Diego. Mm-hmm. I've never done, neither has my wife done like full urban living. And we thought that'd be a really cool experience for our daughter to just kind of be down there and a couple blocks away from like the San Diego library. And there's just, you know, there's just a lot more stuff down there, especially since, you know, with COVID and everything, she's just been out here with us and she's sick of us. So we're excited now that we're getting her re-enrolled in, you know, in classes. So we're doing jujitsu and she used to do gymnastics and ballet. So we're going to get her re-enrolled and all that too. But I think it'll be fun for us too. And it's just more fitting for our lifestyle where we're at right now. And I'm sick of getting displaced for fire. Like at least once a year, we spend like seven to 10 days in a hotel while our house almost burns down. It's just getting old. So we're ready to try something new. San Diego is a great city. It's uh, my favorite. I love it family up in south uh, southern cal right now my two brothers my mom my niece they're in like the anaheim area okay and uh i i know my brother does a lot of work down your neck of the woods so i think at some point in time if they stay out there i would imagine that they'll continue to move south at some point the la shit show is uh not something that they enjoy a whole lot of at this point so yeah it's a fun city to visit but i couldn't imagine living there yeah I like San Diego. It's very laid back. Everybody just wants to surf and smoke weed and just, you know, relax. And, you know, LA is always about who has the nicer hair and the faster car and San Diego, everybody just wants to just chill. So it's a little bit better suited for my style. Still expensive, but it's, it's a lot more fun. Yeah. I see you're, you performing, doing some acoustic stuff as well. I was. Yeah. So, um, we, uh, yeah, I got back into music a little bit when I got out here and then, uh, uh, just, you know, age, I suppose I, <clears throat> I have some strained muscles in my vocal cords. So I've been taking a break and, uh, I'm gonna get some physical therapy to like speech therapy. Cause I ended up tweaking some stuff in my throat. So I haven't been performing lately, which sucks because COVID finally like starting we're, like live music's opening back up. Mm-hmm. We are so excited to play. We started rehearsing a little bit. So like after about an hour, I was just running out of steam. Like I couldn't sing anymore. It was even affecting my podcasting. I don't know if you can tell now, but my voice is getting tired just speaking for this period of time. But I'd podcast and towards the end of the episode, I'm like having to really force my voice out. And so, yeah, unfortunately, uh, right now I'm on a hiatus for medical reasons, I suppose. That's old age. I mean, how, how do you even prevent something like that, right? <laughs> just your throat, I could neck workouts, I suppose. But we'll see what the speech therapist says. No, I'm going to get back into it when I can. It's fun, man. I, I dabbled a little bit. I started to play in a band. It's a whole nother podcast episode, but essentially I, I, I'll give you the short version before we wrap. So okay. I, I'm like, you know, I bought a couple new guitars, new amp was jamming in the, it just was this natural progression. I knew where it was going. Yeah. So I started reaching out with people on Craigslist and uh, I found what I thought was going to be a really good group of people. It was three guys looking for a guitar player. So I, I go to this house 
and a uh, little strange, but I'm like, okay, I'll go into the basement and we start playing and they've got candles and incense burning. And then this girl comes over and she's sitting on this guy's lap and they're listening to music and we get done playing. And one of the, one of the guys in the band walks over and starts kissing the girl that's sitting on the guy's lap. And I'm like, wait a second, that girl was just kissing that guy. And so, uh, see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. It kind of was like, this is strange. So we start packing things up and they're like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to get back together next week if you want to come by. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, let me, let me see what my schedule looks like. And I'm still kind of observing. And I'm like, uh, ask a question. You guys all like, what's, what's the deal? I saw you guys kissing and come to find out there was a polyamorous relationship that they were in, which, Hey, to each their own, but yeah, yeah. you know, was, was not really thinking that was probably the best place. So I went back and I found a new group and, uh, the kid, he was 16. He was a guitar prodigy. And when I say like, I mean, he, he was unbelievable. One of the best guitar players I've ever seen. And he taught at the school of rock and long story short, he, uh, he had a brother who had passed away in a car accident and the parents got really involved with this child in trying to help them progress their dream. And so they converted a portion of their house into a studio. And I mean, it was really impactful. Wow playing all the type of rock tunes that I like to play where they're writing their own music. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Like I've got this cool band. The kid's young. He's motivated. And then I found out that the mom was the lead singer. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah, She was the lead singer. And so like she would dress up like Steven Tyler and had scarves and did all this crazy ass makeup and glitter. And we did, we did a couple of shows. Uh, was she good? Online if you want to find them, but I'm not promoting where they're at. Yeah. <laughs> music, the music sounded badass. And she's, I mean, dude, we played some, we played some Dio. I mean, this, this chick could belt it oh. out. Yeah. Um, if you were there in the, in, you know, in person, you were kind of like, who is this woman? What? <laughs> she was like 55, 60 years old. And wow, good for her. <laughs> she, she went for it. So that was my short lived pitch back into music. And so I'm retired as well, but not for, medical reasons but yeah i saw you yeah. singing and it, it was badass dude as uh well, thank you you're kicking some shit out of there so yeah we're looking to get back into it because we started a full band that's what we were rehearsing with we found this awesome drummer he used to be in a punk band and he was just i mean he was he's, he's awesome so we're gonna get back together and get after it when we can but you know we wanted to because acoustic you're really limited with what you can do bart and i have a lot of fun we put on stupid outfits and we act silly but with the with the full band you know we want to play things like iron maiden metallica and then you know switch over to journey and stuff like that and just be all over the place and just kind of have something for everybody and a lot there's some acts out here in san diego that do that and it's a lot of fun where they're just like you know they play some, they're almost like a jukebox yeah right? so a little bit for everybody so we'll get there awesome just got to get this throw fixed up definitely <laughs> well shit man i i appreciated a ton you taking the time this morning to come on here uh, i appreciate you having me thank you Definitely. I know you said the website's more of just kind of like a repository, but it's thecleanthinkers.com, right? Yep. Yep. Thecleanthinkers.com. And you, know, you can learn a lot about the program. You can actually listen to the podcast right on the, on the website, but I also have the links to go and subscribe through all, all the major ones, uh, you know, Apple and Spotify and Google and all that. So, but yeah, and you, it gives an overview, but like I said, the podcast is really the best way to learn about it. And if you have the patience to wait, if you don't, then you can check out the book and read through it and, there's also an audiobook that I, uh, that I, I narrate <laughs> and, and there's also the paperback version. Like, uh, you like do narrate it though. That's awesome. Yeah. I do. yeah. Yep, so it, and when I hear people that don't narrate their own book, I'm like, 
I get it. I'm sure production company or publication does kind of pick a lot of that stuff, but kudos to you that you took that opportunity because it, it's, there's a connection there, right? You just yeah. know how to enunciate and where to emphasize things the right way to get your point across. Exactly. Yeah. It's your material. You, you, you can, nobody can tell the story better than you can. So awesome. I decided to do that. It's kind of hard to get the technical requirements now, but you know, it was ACX or Amazon accepted it and now it's available on Amazon and iTunes. So awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know, thank you again. I'm halfway through it. I'll give you the final uh, breakdown uh, when I'm finished, but so far, fantastic, Mike. And thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming on and uh, hopefully we can get on here again in the future and talk some other crazy shit. You're always a good time. So I appreciate that. Yeah. If you're out in the Southern California area down by San Diego, let me know. Get together. Most definitely. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Sounds good. Thank you.